Hello and welcome to Science Queries, where we discuss anything and everything to do with science, often with an LGBT plus focus. I'm Sonia and I'm here with my friends Khan and Kiara, where today we will discuss life in space and what it means to be alive in the first place. <laughs> Opening question, do you guys believe in aliens? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I had to think about this and I was like, what is an alien? Yeah. So like, like when you hear the word alien, what do you think of? I mean, the Hollywood depiction, right? Yeah. Like the grey, big head, yeah, big the eyes. humanoid figure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like that was really egocentric of humans yeah, yeah. to make aliens. Yeah. I don't know if I yet, because I don't know if I think about aliens when I think of that, because it's so, like, human-like, and I don't yeah. think aliens are anything like humans. Like, an alien could be, like, an, like an ant for you, all mm. you know, you know? Yeah. That was so, like, I just realised how, like, Hollywood really painted, like, a really egotistical <laughs> view mean, of an alien. It makes sense, because they can't, like, they don't know what... But it could be, like, any other animal. Yeah, you know? I guess. Yeah. Like, what do you think of aliens? Like, what image pops into your head? I imagine, like, some energy vibes. I don't know oh, why. I guess really cool. I don't know. So not something that's Not, um, like, the green, material. like... <laughs> yeah, not the green, um, small... Skinny, yeah. yeah, not like the ones, the that, ones that, that ride you. UFOs and like, abduct you. Yeah, <laughs> they're pretty. Sounds pretty cool. I like to think yeah. that aliens are like slime. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, like imagine if it was like like bouncing on the moon and then you encounter some slime. Yeah, that like, moves. <laughs> yeah, that moves. It's like made Minecraft and had a slime. <laughs> oh <machine>. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like some people say, oh, I think aliens will be like in the form of like clouds or just or like, like bacteria. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the typical grey alien actually originates from science fiction. Mm -hmm. So that's how we see aliens. Yeah, as like those humanoid figures. I guess I wanted to start out after talking about the existence of aliens for a little while. So first, talking about organisms on Earth. So how does Earth's life fare in outer space? Let's talk about some organisms that have visited space. So in one paper that I read, microorganisms were found to remain viable in space for long periods of time when shielded from the lethal shortwave solar ultraviolet radiation. Scientists were surprised that bacteria was able to survive longer and better than expected, which I guess a bit early to talk about it in this episode, but this highlights the need for sterilization and steps to avoid contamination, which we'll talk more about. A bit later. Oh, that's so, yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then I wanted to go into like animals that have visited space and that have survived because I didn't want to talk about animals that didn't survive. Oh, no, that'd be but, so sad. Yeah. There's the list of animals that have mm -hmm. been in space. It's quite a long list. So wait, you know what? Like, um, bacteria being able to survive in space like that. Do you think you know when Earth was it was still hostile to life and yeah. didn't support life very yeah. well? I guess bacteria had to. Eventually, they did survive. So yeah. I. I guess like it's just like from those roots in a way yeah. i don't know there's like no yeah, and you hear about like up, water but... bears they're like the most sturdy like robust organisms <laughs> yeah. ever and they can survive through anything but yeah when i when i think robust and survive through anything i think cockroaches yeah oh no it's then, like, <laughs> yeah animals already existing on earth can survive through such harsh conditions yeah, so like you would think that they are able to survive in space yeah so yeah the first animals in space were fruit flies launched in 1957 by the united states they were launched at 109 kilometers above sea level where the 
common line, which is used as a conventional start of outer space, is 100 kilometers above sea level. So they were launched nine kilometers into space. So cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why like are fruit flies? Fruit flies are like just like they're just like easy. the basis of all science. <laughs> they're just like easy they carry animals. <laughs> and in 1961, a chimp called Ham was launched by the US, proving that organisms could operate in microgravity. I didn't want to get into it, but it kind of seems unethical to send animals into space before humans, but yeah, uh, Wasn't, animal but testing. That was the whole thing, right? With yeah. US and I Russia f- racing to try and... I feel like science in the past hasn't had the most ethical mm, yeah. history in terms of like experiments like that. I guess that's why ethics has come such a yeah. long way now yeah. to make sure it's mm. not harming things. Yeah, so continuing on down the list, a cat called Velisette was launched by France in 1963 and in 1968 Russia launched two tortoises among other Aww. animals which were the first animals to orbit the moon. Oh! <laughs> in 1989, 32 chicken embryos were taken to space by the US and a handful of them hatched so oh, there are oh. chickens that hatched in space. That's, That's pretty, pretty interesting. Cool. Imagine being the chicken that hatched yeah. in space. And like, what a cool chicken. Yeah. Ooh, the egg came first. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> in 1990, China launched some guinea pigs. In 1995... Japan launched some newts, so like lizards. Yeah. In 2003, the US launched some worms, some roundworms. And in 2012, Japan launched some fish. And there's actually fish. an aquarium on the ISS, on the oh. International Space Station. <laughs> Wait, yeah. would it just be like a blob? Yeah, well, how does that work? Like, um, is it like fully contained, I assume? Yeah. I'm not do they, do I'm they not sure on the specifics, but <laughs> I know that there are fish that live up there. <laughs> they just like still bubble in, like I assume they would still bubble in. How do they filter it? They'd have to like vacuum yeah. pump it out. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Imagine you clean the fish tank, you just like open it up, let the water float out. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty cool. I mean, it's like the same sort of thing, like how did toilets work in in space and other stuff, which I mean, I don't really know about. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah. So, yeah. So, what do you think? Animals have gone to space. I didn't know that. But the, like, like, how do you call it? The types of animals are quite random. Yeah. It's like, like, I wonder what they were trying to like achieve with that. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, like when the US launched worms, like, what were they? What was their intention? (laughs) Compost? Yeah. (laughs) I guess testing the different species that survive in space will allow like if we're trying to build stuff on the moon we want animals to be there to help organic processes and that sort of thing so that we can get people living up there is there any monopoly over space like do they have to agree they have to all agree to Um, stuff I don't know if they all have to agree but in an ideal world space is the shared playground amongst all the other (laughs) nations all the nations so yeah I have heard about some sort of competition between like real estate on the moon that oh. sort of stuff because like yeah wow. everyone wants to build there and yeah. make money and all that stuff space wars yeah. will actually be a thing <laughs> but like tortoises that's like the one I was like whoa yeah <laughs> they, and they all wanted to yeah. yeah that's yeah. funny yeah. I mean I guess they wanted to test oh, as I said how different like yeah. a diverse range of species how mm. they fare in space Hi, this is Sonia from the editing chair. So I did some more research onto why they chose tortoises to send up into space. And I thought it would be a more complex reason, but the only reason that I could really find was that it was because they didn't have the budget to send actual humans into space, which is pretty interesting, but also a bit anticlimactic. I guess the main topic of this episode would be about astrobiology, so a bit more about this subject. It's actually a combination of several areas that tackles a range of subjects. So subjects like the origin of life, 
molecular biology and bioengineering. In areas like technology development, remote observation via space missions, building models, and the involvement of educators and the public. So yeah, so I was a bit like, hold up, what? The educators and like the public? So more into this, this is because the origin and distribution of life has great religious and philosophical significance. And um, regarding like contamination from other planets, this is related to public health as we bring possibly dangerous samples back from space. And astrobiology also impacts education because if students know about it, they'll be more motivated to acquire scientific and technical skills. And um, the subject as a whole strengthens the links between so many areas like science, technology, and the humanities because of how multidisciplinary it is. Mm. So I was reading about astrobiology and I was like, wow, yeah, like thinking about it, it takes so much to research into. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to get to space first. (laughs) And then, yeah. You you know how like people don't usually see physics and biology as like an interweaving, overlapping kind of subject area. But like, 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 I, I came across quantum biology the other day. And I was like, what on earth? Like, that just boggles my mind. (laughs) Ultimately, everything obeys the laws of physics. Yeah. And then things that are living all fall under biology. So, yeah. Yeah. So crazy. Because, like, I guess, like, all throughout school, you you study those things compartmentalized, mm. and it's just like separate. Yeah, you don't really like yeah, see like, them interact. Yeah, because like bio and chem, you are very told that they're like you know very related. But yeah, then physics. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. correlate them yeah. together. And because like I'm doing molecular biology now, and it's mainly just chemistry with some biological processes, but it's mainly just chemistry. So it's like really interesting to think about like how multidisciplinary yeah. these subjects are. Yeah, yeah, and astrobiology seeks to answer three key questions. So, how does life begin and develop? Does life exist elsewhere in the universe? And what is the future of life on Earth and in space? So, all these questions are pretty linked. For example, answering does life exist elsewhere in the universe can help us answer how life begins and develops, and then answer what is the future for life on Earth and in space. And astrobiology is a subject we need people of so many disciplines to be a part of. Yeah, even the questions sound like very, I don't know, could be contentious or like, you know, involving a lot of different types of fields. I don't know. What were you saying? You were saying like, oh, like, how does life, where does life begin and all this stuff? Like, yeah. And in the paper that I read about astrobiology, biology um they actually had this quote in it which represents how multidisciplinary it is so the quote is the natural universe works as a unified whole and so we must unify our efforts in order to learn its deeper and most valuable secrets which makes sense because yeah the universe doesn't separate into like physics and biology and chemistry yeah so we need to follow suit and work together in that Mm. way yeah i think there's been a real shift in more interdisciplinary methods of solving problems and stuff and how and like it brings us back to the representation episode how having like different perspectives and different like knowledge bases and coming together to a project with that background is so beneficial like have you heard about that thing where um a train goes fast and there's a mathematician there's a econ- yeah. economist and there's like another type of scientist all looking at or like it's like a philosopher or something mm. and they all go on this train and they see two brown cows and from each perspective they'd say different remarks mm. about the cows <laughs> yeah it's just like different perspectives around the same subject so like mm. this perspective of a biologist can all that sort of stuff yeah. will help see the problem in different ways and then solve problem possibly together yeah I think that's so cool yeah. <laughs> I think that's so cool that there's so many different like types of people that like I don't know so many different professions that would come together to answer these questions because everyone would bring such a different because it's such a 
such a like human question if that makes sense yeah. it's not really just related to like science it's like such a philosophical like you know what yeah. I mean like yeah. that's why it involves the public yeah. as well because everyone would be interested in mm, it's like, astrobiology or like what it has to offer like, yeah such a collective question yeah, yeah. Let's talk about how how does aliens happen? Like, how, does how, aliens how does aliens happen? <laughs> how could there be life in space? <laughs> that, how do aliens? Yeah. You're like, how does aliens? Yeah, bro, aliens. <laughs> yeah, like what? Aliens? <laughs> Let's start on Earth, I guess. So, in 1977, there's a submersible called Alvin discovered an okay. a quote oasis of hydrothermal vents along the Galapagos Rift in the Pacific Ocean mm-hmm. on the deep ocean floor without light and it was weird because this was home to so many organisms that were previously totally unknown to science and like it was such an it's such an extreme condition and this shows again as we were talking about the water bears and the cockroaches Mm. Earth's organisms can live in such harsh conditions and thrive. They, they're fine. So yeah, it's not much of a stretch to think that organisms could survive in space. And life itself could have started before Earth became habitable on other planets. When people say that they think humans are the most, are the only intelligent life form in the universe, that's a bit selfish to yeah, think. I yeah, I agree. Yeah. So like, who knows? Life could have started on a different planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and liquid water could have been present on other planets for like millions of years. Evidence of liquid water was found on Mars and one of Jupiter's moons called Europa has some sort of ocean under its ice surface. Also billions of other stars could be accompanied by mm. planets just like our solar system and therefore could have planets suited for life just like Earth. Um, there's actually a planet called Kepler 452b which people call Earth 2.0 or Earth's cousin <laughs> which is part of a similar solar system I guess. It orbits around a star called Kepler and I mean we're far away from discovering what that planet could offer because it will take 26 million years to get there with our current technology <laughs> but yeah so back to our solar system while Europa still needs to be searched evidence of life on Mars could exist in 1976 three Viking landers went to Mars and they <laughs> okay. searched Mars for eight and a half months using gas chromatograph mass spectrometers does that sound familiar because okay. that reminds me of year 12 chem and physics where we talked about chromatography and mass uh, spectrometry yeah. but yeah so basically this equipment is used to identify by different substances within a test sample and they were searching for organic compounds so signs of microbial metabolism originally they thought that life could be found because of the way that the soil reacted with water but ultimately found no signs of life although some astrobiologists disagree with this being enough proof because they thought that the equipment they used wasn't the best at finding the organic samples due to limitations and also suggest that the viking landers should have searched for fossil evidence of life also and mm. what are signs of life anyway <laughs> like who knows what's what is a sign mm. of life mm. but that's something we'll get into a bit later in 2003 the spirit rover was launched and this rover found 90 percent pure silica which usually exists on earth in hot springs where microbes live so they thought that similar oh. microbes could be found like in 2003 also the opportunity rover was launched and this rover found clay minerals that must have formed in neutral ph water suggesting that Mars was once wet and this is supported by the <laughs> discovery of hematite on Mars which usually forms in water so liquid water is such like a source of life yeah mm-hmm. or is seen to be a source of life the Curiosity True. rover was launched in 2011 and this rover 
found that the concentration of methane on Mars changes seasonally. So this is important because the primary source of methane on Earth is life. And they found that maybe the methane could be seeping out via underground sources. So is there life on Mars underground? Mm. And uh, this rover also found organic molecules on Mars that could be from ancient life. More recently, on the 30th of July this year, Perseverance rover was launched and this rover is scheduled to land on February 18th of next year. So it takes a while to get to Mars. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm pretty excited to see what this rover mm. finds because the objectives of it is to primarily look for signs of life, then to collect and cache samples to be brought back to Earth and to test other technologies like Ingenuity, which is a Mars helicopter. I just like <laughs> the names of all these. The names, like, yeah. yeah. Spirit, Spirit, Opportunity, Curiosity, yeah. and then like the so helicopter weird. Ingenuity. <laughs> so hopeful. Yeah, yeah that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. More evidence can be found in a Martian meteorite, ALH-8401, <laughs> recovered from Antarctica in 1984. Ultimately, this is inconclusive, but I'll list out the evidence anyway, so... Um, disc-shaped carbonates formed in the fractures of the rock could have formed under habitable conditions, so with liquid water and cool temperatures. Like, while the full meteorite is made of igneous rock, which is formed under high temperatures, so these carbonates that were not formed on Earth could prove that Mars was once cooler. Yeah. Than, uh, yeah. 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 Um, there were also cell-shaped objects found on the meteorite, but it could just be minerals in a certain <laughs> orientation. Oh, right. And they found... Um, organic matter on the meteorite polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons or PAH that was not acquired on earth but this is also found in interplanetary dust particles so we don't know if the source of the PAH was biological or abiotic and lastly some of the magnetite or Fe304 found in the meteorite had only been previously found from bacteria so the magnetite that they found in the meteorite had only been previously found from being formed within microorganisms Mm. but more research should be done on the formation of magnetite to confirm this. So yeah, there's actually quite a bit of evidence suggesting that there was or is life on Mars. Mm. Why do we care about astrobiology anyway? (laughs) Well, I wanted to get into the impacts they could have. It has serious impacts in regard to contamination as we go on space missions and explore space. Like mixing Earth biology with space biology is a reason for concern. Just like with invasive species within Earth itself, we already have big problems with that. So imagine bringing in stuff from outside (laughs) of Earth. (laughs) Yeah, it's like with COVID. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in 1967, the United Nations Outer Space Treaty was made, and a quote from that is to so this was to conduct exploration of other solar system bodies so as to avoid their harmful contamination and also adverse changes in the environment of the earth resulting from the introduction of extraterrestrial matter. So this basically stated that it is important, equally as important to prevent both forward and back contamination. So forward being from earth and back being from other planets. With this, astronauts from missions Apollo 11 and 12 were quarantined for 30 days after coming back from the moon. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, after Apollo 12, they were pretty sure the moon had no life on it, so they didn't keep doing this. Oh, (laughs) right, right. So just for those two first, because they didn't know if there was life on the moon. And the Viking landers, as mentioned previously, so these were baked for 30 hours and cleaned very thoroughly in preparation for their trip to Mars, so as Mm. not to bring stuff from Earth Uh, over there. In regard to the Viking landers, the Space Studies Board had some recommendations on the return of any samples from Mars. So if the samples cannot be verified 
as safe en route to Earth, the sample and spacecraft should be sterilized in space or not return to Earth at all. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> they're taking this ser- really seriously. Right. We don't want, like, because it's a major yeah. health concern if something comes yeah. back and we are not equipped to handle and, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, what do you guys think about, like, contamination and all that? I feel like in recent times, like, contamination and, like, the how widespread the effects are mm. are much more, like, it's brought to light and it's, like, people are more aware of it. Yeah. So, I guess, like, previous me would have been, like, well, what? <laughs> like, that's a bit, like, 30 days quarantine. Oh, like, it's a big measure. Yeah. But now I'm, like, yeah, it makes so much sense, you know, like, because, like, a tiny thing can have such a big impact mm, and yeah. it can, yeah. Like, who knows what we're bringing back exactly. yeah. who knows so what can happen especially if it's like alien and yeah. totally foreign and to who us. knows what long term and I guess like you wouldn't even have like the scientific knowledge to yeah. combat that yeah because like at least with a, with a virus so you know you kind, kind of, of how kind it works of what's and going like, on and like yeah you can learn more but with something completely foreign and alien yeah it's like you could have a different, start? completely different <laughs> yeah. mechanism yeah. that you're not yeah you, you can't even fathom you know yeah like if you're cutting raw chicken and you cross contaminate into cooked food that's bad for you Imagine cross-contamination from, like, space, <laughs> you know, like, impacts that it could have. Oh, so, no. like, yeah, so it is pretty serious and yeah. of everyone's interest that yeah. this is avoided at all costs. You, you know yeah. what? I, like, I had a thought. Like, what if biology, you know how biology as we know it is just what we have observed from just life on Earth. Mm-hmm. But, like, what if... This is, like, so far-fetched, but what if biology is, like, completely different for organisms in space? Yeah. Like, no, I, you can't... Yeah. You can't say for sure. I mean, that. even and, talking about, like, signs of life or whatever, yeah. like, when you would think a habitable signs of life, like, for another alien organism or whatever, it could be so different, their habitable yeah. signs of life. Like, yeah. you know, so I Like, don't... what if they're all anaerobic? Mm. Yeah. Like, what if yeah. they... What if they don't need water to survive? I yeah, don't know, I, like, don't, I feel like... That's, is that like no I think that, I think that's where my mind is most headed like I don't all the stuff I feel like they just have such a completely different way of yeah. you know something constructed like in a way like we can't even like you're saying can't even fathom can't even begin to describe mm-hmm. or maybe even like understand you know yeah yeah and that is something that we will talk a little bit later cool. but yeah I'm excited um contamination aside <laughs> finding more diverse life is beneficial to us this increases the diversity of known life forms and life as we know now only uses uses a small fraction of possible organic compounds. So alien life could have explored alternative mm-hmm. possibilities and like allow us to develop technologies that will help us. Because ultimately this is all for like the betterment of the human race. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, so going back to how do we know something is living? How do we know what aliens are going to look like? The current accepted signs of life are called biomarkers, and these are things like cellular remains or textural fabrics and sediments that record structure or function of biological communities. So like um, fossils? Yeah, so like um, stro- stromatolites, which are sed- sedimentary rocks formed by the trapping and binding of biofilms or layers of microbes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like rocks formed out of bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> More biomarkers include um, biogenic organic matter like hydrocarbons, uh, mineral deposits that have been affected by biological processes, stable isotopic patterns that reflect biological activity, or like um, the methane I mentioned earlier, atmospheric constituents whose concentrations require a biological source. But yeah, as you guys said before, when we do encounter aliens, they might be so super different that we don't even know that they are alive. So how would you decide something if something is living or not? Yeah. Without searching it up. I was thinking about this the other day, and you know what? I just 
like what I originally came up with. Now I'm like, whoa, like is it really? But like what I originally came up with is that if something has like a function in a way, like if it's doing something, say for example, like a plant, it's not necess- it's not alive in the sense that it moves around and it like does things, but right. it has a function. Like it takes in carbon dioxide and puts out oxygen. You know, like it has a function in a way, yeah. like, and, like a purpose. Yeah, yeah. But like. The- but then no and like in like bacteria some bacteria just like reproduce and then they just die (laughs) i mean i guess their purpose would be to reproduce (laughs) yeah like some things just reproduce and then they have a very short like lifespan yeah okay so like like, in my head that that's what life is but then now that i think about it more i'm like how do you decide like what's purposeful and what's not because like maybe this something does something and you think it's not purposeful but then for some reason, like, what it's actually doing is... You know what I'm saying? Like, it actually yeah. does have a yeah. function that and you don't And you can, like, realize. twist anything to be Yeah, like, this, this blanket, mm. like... You know what I'm saying? Like, this blanket is alive because it serves a purpose of yeah, keeping right? us warm. Like, yeah, right? Like, if you think about, like, robots and stuff, they have purposes, <laughs> but yeah. they're not alive. Yeah, and, like... Okay, yeah, yeah no, so I, I... I don't know. I, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like currently we would just go by, like our earthly standards right or what we would consider alive because then would you need would you need it to consume like it would it would they would people would probably consider something living or an alien maybe if it had um if it was kind of similar to us right they'd be like oh if it can go through experiences yeah. if it has like a really high cognitive or yeah. like if it's similar to organisms on earth mm. yeah. yeah yeah and it has that level of intelligence but developed in like another way then they would probably consider and like mm. it can process like you know all those different facets yeah. of emotional and mental whatever I feel like that's what they would consider as yeah. alien right <laughs> like how in like you know how in like dolphins and um I'm just going to say dolphins, actually. <laughs> no, like, they have um, a higher processing level of intelligence, so humans consider them more, you know, on their level almost, kind of. So yeah. I feel like that's... If they found something like that, then they would be like, oh, that's life. Yeah. But then, also, we don't know how that thing could communicate, so it could be going through all those stuff, but the communication is so different. How do we know? Mm, like, yeah. Yeah, it could, yeah, like, yeah. be communicating in, like, some fifth-dimensional, like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Brain waves. Yeah. Yeah. Or it could just be like bacteria where they don't really communicate. Mm, They're just like, yeah, space bacteria. Yeah. Like, like, would you just, because like we have to eat and we have to consume stuff to eat to to survive, right? Or to be alive. Like you need to consume something and put out something. (laughs) Because like transfer of energy. So would that mean that you're alive? Because I guess like a blanket doesn't transfer energy. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't have like mitochondria. Yeah, <laughs> that allow yeah. it to make energy. Yeah, and like I guess robots don't trans. I don't know. <laughs> we, yeah, like, okay. Yeah, so wait, wait, it what, is pretty hard. But then like that, I guess like the difference between you and a robot is that you have like emotion. Yeah. Or like so then you, would you have. But then like do, do bugs have emotion? Yeah. Do bacteria have I guess emotion? like they would have like hormonal. I mean, bacteria is so small. Or like pheromonal. And yeah, that's why I guess you would be like, because they would have to fulfill all the different like you know. Yeah things right because mm. like if you say a robot like maybe they fulfill the energy thing but they don't fulfill like yeah and then yeah. that in that way we're saying that the way we're categorizing life is pretty si- similar to then how we would act right yeah because like, okay. then they would need to have all, yeah and that's what yeah. we consider like oh they're living uh, so yeah because like, we're, we're just selfish yeah we consider ourselves <laughs> yeah like, the definition i mean it of makes life. sense because others we don't have any other reference, reference point for what could yeah. be smarter or more intelligent that's true yeah like the only point of reference we have 
are life forms that we already know about, that yeah. are life forms on Earth. And it's like so many attempts at defining what life is has been made, but definitions like thermodynamic or metabolic mm. definitions of life find it hard to avoid classifying things like fire as being alive. Because mm. fire like moves on its own, eats technically, oh, <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh, stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, so um, going into the one possible definition, the Darwinian definition of life. So this says that life is a self-sustained chemical system capable of undergoing Darwinian evolution. So it basically just uses Darwinian evolution to define <laughs> life. And um, it also defines life as being able to maintain metabolism and is capable of self-replication. So if you don't know what Darwinian evolution is, it's basically like natural selection. But the limitation with this is that living sterile organisms like mules, they can't go through Darwinian evolution because they yeah. can't reproduce. So yeah. in this definition, they're not considered as living, which doesn't <laughs> check out. I feel like if there was a definition of what was living, it would have to be so specific. Like it would be like, you know... But like, can it be specific? I don't know because... Because like things like that, right? It, it, there's, but there's like always exceptions. Yeah, I feel that. like there's always an exception and it's like so hard to... I think it's really hard to have one set definition of life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just don't think you yeah. can have one definition. I think you, it needs to be like context-based and like depending on like what is happening at that time and like what kind of thing it is and yeah, like because I guess they could say some things that maybe that they could consider life, but then some people will be like, no, nah, I don't really see that as you know. Yeah, it becomes living. like subjective yeah. and vague. And like this goes into the nature of definitions themselves. <laughs> so like, <laughs> we just like keep yeah. <laughs> So consider this example: calling a two-year-old boy a bachelor. So in the definition of bachelor being a man who's not married, this is true for a two-year-old kid, but you wouldn't refer to a kid as a bachelor. You'd probably want the meaning of bachelor to be more like an unmarried adult male. This meaning... Or like if you use an unmarried adult male as the definition for bachelor, it's still vague. How old is an adult? And because this is used in a linguistic sense, the vagueness is acceptable and it works because human interests and contexts are involved. But for technical definitions, you can't be this vague. There's there's less of an allowance. Like um, for example, water. So try and define water using only its properties. <laughs> I can't even say wet because I had this argument with someone. <laughs> yeah, like if. If I asked you to define water without knowledge of molecules, mm-hmm. how would you define it? <laughs> I don't know. Like that's being so odorless, odd. being clear, but then there's so many other. Yeah, there's so many thought. other things. Yeah. yeah, there's so many factors, and I guess it's just like you would like in that case you would use an example, right? I would I would reference it to yeah. something else. I would like compare it against something else or yeah. something, right? Yeah. Then so I guess like you need a reference point yeah. and context for yeah. a definition it, it's, to. It's so uh, convoluted, right? Even yeah. when you try to like explain something like emotions. Right, you can't because it's so not doesn't fit into the words that we yeah. have almost. Yeah, and like <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you have a group of people all from different contexts and you're trying to agree on whether a cup of water is water and like describing water to each other. It's pretty hard without just saying H2O because. H2O leaves no room for ambiguity at all. And yeah. yeah, this goes to show that the development of molecular theory made unambiguous understanding of water possible. And I mean, mm. even though everyday people still refer to many things as water that are not pure um, H2O, yeah. which just like, I guess, highlights the allowance that language and conversation has mm. where technical definitions do not have that allowance. But yeah, like you need molecular theory to define water. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah. like, when I read that, I was like, whoa, because water is such, like, an everyday thing. Yeah. Imag- yeah. And yeah. yet you can't define it while without being H2O. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't like that. <laughs> but, okay, yeah. 
Yeah. And another example is with triangles. So in reference to um, Euclidean geometry, triangles are plane figures enclosed by three straight lines. But all the time in conversation, people refer to shapes as triangles, which are not necessarily made of three straight lines. Language allows for so many, so much vagueness or yeah. like allowances for inaccuracy where technical definitions, you can't have that vagueness or Yeah, because there's um, always going to be something that's going to be like, wait, yeah. what, you what know about that reminds this? Me of, it reminds <laughs> me of, do you remember in um, year 11 camp when he was asking us about what do we think the definition is um, no what, what do we think the law is for sexual harassment and we were all like oh yeah like consent it says you have to say yes and then he's yeah. like well but then um what if someone does say yes but they're coerced into saying yes yeah, yeah. it feels like a very that energy like scenario yeah, yeah. So, so many but then life is so different because it's so complicated that you can't you know what i mean there like, are so many factors that play into what life is mm. yeah so i guess you can't define it by one set yeah, but then if you make it so specific, then it, like, pulls out all those other yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, so similar to with H2O and molecular theory, to define life, we need a theoretical framework for biology that will mm. support a deeper understanding of life in yeah, in the same way that we have a deeper understanding of molecules. And finding extraterrestrial life or other forms of life that are not just the life that we know on Earth could help us with defining life. Yeah, <laughs> so what do you guys think about this whole life definition oh, uh, dilemma. It's like a lot to think about, right? Yeah. It kinda, it's one of those like brain no, I feel like things. It, I feel like it's one of those things where if they find what they consider life on other, like, you know, they find life outside of Earth, then they'll, I don't know, they'll find all different types and then they'll have to like, you know, do this compare thing and then they'll have to figure out, you know, like what do they constitute as life and yeah. they'll have to classify it and then people will have to like agree and disagree. I feel like it's a very, that type of scenario that would happen. Because yeah. How else can they know if they are not like like someone might encounter and be like, Whoa, this is life and the guy's like, Nah, mate, <laughs> this is not life. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't see how else we can know without like a seeing you know what i mean mm. not actually encountering across something which yeah, yeah. the universe is like infinitely large mm. so we don't know if there are different types of life there's probably an infinite exactly, n- yeah. number of types of life so yeah i guess working on defining life we can start with what we know on earth and mm. then as we find or if we find extraterrestrial forms of life we'll be able to expand our definition yeah. but it will probably never be set in stone like <laughs> H2O yeah. is. No. And even that may not be said in stone as we discover more technologies. Yeah. It, it reminds me of like being queer when you like first you like find out that you like a girl and then like you think you're bisexual and then maybe like, I don't know, you find, go through another experience and then you find out you're something else. It kind of reminds me of that. Like you just got to yeah, keep... It's like a constant yeah. evolution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's just what science is in general. Mm. Like, you, you don't know anything for sure. You know, everything can change tomorrow. Yeah. Like, they <laughs> really thought... about it. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, they thought classic physics knew it all. And then quantum physics came in and it was just like, what? Everything yeah. is changing. It's different. It's not what we thought it originally was. Yeah. And it evolves. And, like, it goes back to the sense of, like, we're trying to find the truth in this mm. point of time. And how, like, scientists seek to, like, discover, like, truths that are true in this Mm. time yeah Mm. yeah to the best of our ability at this time with the technology that we have Mm. yeah and Mm. the background knowledge that we know um so i guess it's always evolving yeah Yeah. it will infinitely evolve (laughs) yeah 
yeah. Like when I first heard about like how do we know when we encounter aliens if they are living, if they're not living by our standards, that just like blew my mind. It was like what? <laughs> like, oh yeah, like aliens could be so different. We wouldn't even I mean, know that yeah. they're alive yeah. by our definition. I feel like the universe is so so vast and so big, and there's so much out there. How do we even know? Like how can we define it by our? St- you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, just, I, yeah. I don't think we can. Yeah. Define yeah. it by our standards. I feel We'll just have to keep have to updating see. it and yeah. we'll have to see. Yeah. And we'll have to find actually, out. Yeah. Yeah. If they find life on Mars, who knows what <laughs> Maybe happen. that's our next podcast episode, whether we argue ever whether that's life or not. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I am really looking forward to what the Perseverance rover finds. Yeah. But yeah, so hopefully you've realized that astrobiology is such a cool subject and has so many impacts on the human race and humanity will keep searching for extraterrestrial life. And I personally believe that it's got to be somewhere out there. Like, uh, there's no way the Earth is alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah don't be selfish. Yeah. <laughs> Aliens don't have to look like you to be an alien. Yeah. And they don't have to look like anything that we know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so now it's time for Research Roundup, a segment where we talk about (laughs) research papers that we have recently read. Okay, so I found this article, it's called Optimizing Extraction and Targeted Capture of Ancient Environmental DNA for Reconstructing Past Environments Using the Paleo Chip Arctic 1.0 Bait Set. (laughs) (laughs) Published by the Cambridge University Press, 1st of September. But then I did more digging and it was already published in botanary research in like, oh, they've republished it. Anyways, all good. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, uh, this 2020 paper. Um, So this paper from McMaster University. Where even is that? Canada. Um, (laughs) The researchers were looking at ancient environmental DNA as a way to track the presence of like just taxonomy throughout ancient history, Mm -hmm. I guess, like ancient earth (laughs) and um, using the DNA and they could track like this life on earth even without the presence of surviving tissue. There are limitations to extracting this DNA like from sediment because they carry over substances that inhibit um, enzymes and enzymatic reactions. Like through extracting this DNA, you can lose authentic DNA through the extraction process, basically. So like this paper, like the researchers were just presenting a different method to extract DNA from permafrost. And to show that this method was um, effective, they extracted DNA from permafrost in Canada and showed potential evidence for mammoths that survived around 9,000 years ago and horses, horses, (laughs) Horses. Um, mammoths that survived around 9,000 years ago and horses in the Klondike region of Yukon, Canada. Like mammoths were, went extinct about 10,000. 500 years ago because of the ice age and mammoths were still found in like this one island I don't remember exactly where it was but then these researchers found evidence for late surviving mammoths in Canada which was quite interesting and so like from this info they can reconstruct ancient environments Mm. and yeah it's really cool it's Mm. like going back in time yeah so like I think with this method they were able to extract DNA from like a really really small amount of sediment like Mm -hmm. soil so it's described as like a viable biomolecular 
proxy for tracking taxon mm. presence through time in a local yeah. environment. Mm. So it's really cool mm. how DNA and stuff can be extracted. Yeah, in like, and it's so yeah. long ago. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And they can like look at life yeah. from <laughs> years, like, years ago. Years, so years I guess like, ago. I mean, applying this paper to what you just said, there might be like technological advances that mm. help us identify life in other planets and stuff. Yeah. In like the soil or like the atmosphere of other planets yeah. from however long ago we can go back. I don't know. Yeah. Depending on the technology. Yeah. So then like the life doesn't have to be now, you know, like yeah, life doesn't just, have it, to be present. Like, there could have been like yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. But like just having technology like this just shows you how far we can, we have gone, we have come and how far we can go with yeah. this technology. Yeah. Okay. So this was a homework assignment that I'm using, <laughs> but I did think it was a really interesting paper. So it's called Thoughts on the Engineer of 2020 by John H. McMasters. And this is from 2006. Mm-hmm. And basically, he opened the paper with this quote by Carl Sagan, which I thought it was really interesting. Um, the quote is, It is suicidal to create a society dependent on science and technology in which hardly anyone except a small numerate elite knows anything about science and technology. Oh, mm. So that's really interesting because, yeah, it's important that the public are educated on what mm. their life is built on. <laughs> but, yeah, this paper is in the context of aeronautical engineering. And he said that the technical community within aeronautics has been unable to create an exciting collective vision of our future as previously. So previously, aeronautics was driven by things like Star Trek, science fiction. Right. And mm. right now, there isn't that same excitement. source of excitement. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And That's yeah. So interesting how like it's influenced yeah, I by I feel like I feel like people are fascinated by space but not in the sense that they were with science fiction cuz like yeah. I feel like science fiction isn't really like a big I mean with things like 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 you were saying Star Trek and then like Star Wars and Doctor yeah. Who were all big back you know it's seen as when, nerdy now you know yeah like people yeah. Are like it's so nerdy <laughs> yeah yeah people are interested about finding life on mars for example currently yeah. but what about i guess there isn't much hype about aeronautics within earth it's it's all about space <laughs> you know yeah yeah, yeah. i get that it's like i'm guilty of as well but yeah um, <laughs> and it was really interesting he talked about the history of aeronautics how at the beginning during um the cold war era the aim for the industry was farther faster and higher with their planes Um, right now it's quicker better and cheaper and with the future as environmental conditions change Mm. he said that it might be leaner meaner and greener (laughs) how it changes how we want to um, combat climate change and all stuff like that yeah and something that in class one of the tutors said sorry the lecturer said someone asked if electricity is a viable replacement for um, fuel in terms of fueling aircraft but he said that probably won't happen for a long time because nothing is as energy dense as fuel and mm. not, and it probably won't support flight. So even though we do have solar-powered aeroplanes, they're just for one person. And mm. we do have a long way to go in terms of making um, aeroplanes greener in that sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... Because do you remember, I don't know, this is like a couple of years ago when um, they actually started to push out a lot of initiatives for, um, like, you know, to better the environment. But then they found um, a lot more um, fuel. And so they were like, oh, okay, it's okay. <laughs> like, we'll push it aside. So I think yeah. it's interesting, like, how yeah. you said, like, to see how our technological um, advancements change with our yeah. priorities along the yeah. years. I think, mm. yeah. The paper also looked at including nature in the history of flight because right 
right now. Like if you think about the history of like you think about like the Wright brothers and the Wright flyer mm. and that being like the first aeroplane. But he was talking about looking and getting more inspiration from birds and dinosaurs and insects oh. and including that in the history of flight because that's part of the history of flight yeah, they flew yeah, before yeah. we did <laughs> and stuff like that but we're so, eager <laughs> so yeah that was a pretty interesting paper yeah that's really cool mm. to our listeners thank you so much for listening to what we had to say this episode we'd love to hear your ideas regarding this episode via our social media platforms <laughs> we are at SciQueriesPod on Instagram and Twitter SciQueries on Facebook and you can email us at sciencequeriespod at gmail.com to send us anything you want to within reason. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Science Queries. Yeah, within reason. <laughs>